The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome. I'm your host, Suzanne Phillips, and this is Psych Up Live. My goal and that of my guests is to go beyond the soundbite as we offer a psychological perspective on life issues. Join us in the conversation. Listen in and send me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Our topic today is adult sibling relationships. What keeps them together and what pulls them apart? 80% of Americans have siblings, including biological, step-siblings, half- or adoptive siblings. The question is, if you do have siblings, who are you to them? And how have you and your siblings influenced each other? As an adult, are you friends with your siblings? Have you been estranged from one or more of them for years? What impacts the relationship adult siblings have with each other? Here to answer the questions today is our guest and expert, Dr. Jeff Grief. Dr. Grief is a professor at the University of Maryland School of Social Work. He is the author of 12 books and more than 125 journal articles and book chapters. Dr. Grief is actually a returning guest to Psych Up Live. He did a wonderful show, and it's worth catching up on that podcast, on male relationships, drawing from his book, buddy system. Today he returns to discuss some fascinating information and findings from his new book, Sibling Relationships, which he co-authored with Michael Woolley. Dr. Jeff Grief, welcome back to Psych Up Live. Thank you for having me back. So Jeff, what made you write this book? I've been looking, Suzanne, at what I call horizontal relationships now for the last 10 years. Horizontal relationships, we can think of them like men's friendships, women's friendships, not intergenerational, but horizontal. And Mm -hmm. then I had a book out in 2012 on couples and their couples' friendships. Mm -hmm. Uh, So keeping that line of thinking, I decided to do something on siblings, which is also a horizontal though it's affected by vertical or intergenerational relationships. It's more horizontal and more deals with people that are seemingly on the same level. So that Mm -hmm. became of interest to me. Now, what's interesting is that there really haven't been many research studies or books on siblings. And think most, of how much we impact each other. Most of what's been done on siblings has been focusing on on children. Uh, Mm -hmm, And so... The notion of working with the middle age um, and uh, older adult siblings and trying to help them to find their way through their relationships at, at that midpoint in life is what needs to be written about. And I was lucky enough to be able to, to uh, publish the book uh, that covers that topic. Well, now tell our audience, our listening audience, what um, your research was like in the sense of who is in your sample, Jeff, so we, we know what we're drawing upon, and what did you use to gather information from them? Yeah, so we did what uh, Michael Woolley and I did, a mixed method study. So my social work students, over the course of three years, interviewed 276 
adult siblings 40 and over and gave them a 100-item questionnaire and then gave them a what's called a qualitative interview, a chance to ask them open-ended questions. And the way that that is done is uh, a question is put out there and people can respond however they, they want to, whereas a questionnaire has fixed item responses usually. Mm-hmm. So between looking at the fixed items on the questionnaire and asking people in general such questions like, how important are your sibling relationships? Researchers, and in this case, Michael and I, can begin to draw conclusions that are based on the sibling's own words and are not us putting words into their mouths, which is what happens with a fixed item questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And so those 276 siblings, 55% of whom were women, um, are describing 702 sibling relationships because many people, of course, have multiple relationships. Mm -hmm. And then the process becomes trying to put an arc around the story. There's so much information and it's so complicated because we only interviewed one person from each family. We believed, and I think that's true of most people, that if you interview siblings together, they may not tell you the truth. They're going to try and put a... (laughs) a varnish on it that's going to look pretty good. But if you interview me alone, and I know you're never interviewing my older brother or older sister, and everything is confidential as well as anonymous, then I'm going to be a little more more free to tell you what really bugs me about my siblings. What was so interesting, just just to pick up uh, some of your statistics, is this correct? So, For some questions, 61% said they had favorable sibling relationships, 17% said it's neither favorable nor highly strained, and 21% said they were strained. So it's an interesting breakdown. Yeah, and I think that's probably, uh, again, we don't have a what's called a representative sample. So we're not saying that this is true for anybody else. It's just true for our sample. but. You know, hopefully you can begin to draw some conclusions about what's the state of sibling affairs and uh, how are siblings helped by what we're describing in what other siblings are struggling with. So um, that's where we're hoping to be helpful to other people. If you are struggling with your relationship, maybe you can read a few stories or from the statistics that we gathered come to some conclusions about what you might be thinking about, what you might be experiencing, and hopefully what you can do to improve the relationship with a sibling. Mm, well, well, certainly I think our, our, our listeners are going to hear that. And as parents, they're going to have a perspective in terms of dealing with their children. Now, you mm-hmm. framed the sibling relationships when you thought about it. You said in terms of three terms, affection, ambivalence, and ambiguity. Now, maybe you could yeah. explain what, what made you choose those terms and what they would mean. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Jeffrey Grief, his new book, Adult Sibling Relationships. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. 
Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. So we were talking, we were cut off a bit, so we were talking about the fact that you framed your understanding of sibling relationships in terms of affection, ambivalence, and ambiguity. Maybe you can clarify those for us. Right, and I think one way into this is to think about how a lot of people have put these relationships, which are very complicated, into very neat boxes. There's a very fine researcher from Duke who put them into... Uh, um, into intimate, cordial, loyal, apathetic, and hostile. Mm-hmm. And we thought that something that was a little more gray, uh, like ambivalence and ambiguity, along with affection, better captured the mixed emotions that people often have with siblings who they are tied to uh, throughout their whole life. This is mm-hmm. the longest relationship anyone will ever have. Right. Uh, assuming a normal life course, uh, we're with our siblings longer than our parents and our children and our, our lovers or our partners or our spouses. Mm-hmm. So there are many opportunities to have hurt feelings, miscommunications, uh, bad feelings that are intended and things that are not intended. So that's where the ambivalence comes in, the mixed mm-hmm. feeling. We, mm-hmm. Yes, I want my brother to succeed, but maybe not as much as I want myself to succeed. Mm-hmm. So every time he does well and mom or dad notices him and not me, yes, I love him, but it sort of gets into my crawl a little bit. So there's a lot of affection. Many people have very strong affectionate relationships and will say that their friends, uh, that their siblings are their best friends. Mm-hmm. But there are also people out there that need to know that it's normal to have ambivalent feelings. We don't need to have a Norman Rockwell-esque relationship with our siblings all the time throughout a 70, 80-year relationship. Mm. And finally, the ambiguity that comes in is that we often don't understand what our siblings are saying or doing, and we feel that they may not understand us. So I may be a middle-aged man, but maybe I feel like my siblings still treat me like I'm 17. Again, mm-hmm. they don't mm-hmm. they don't appreciate the adult that I've become with a much more variegated and rich life. So that's yes. where the ambiguity comes in, and ambiguity sometimes drives the ambivalence, the mixed feelings. It, it's so interesting. It's the reason we hear horror stories about Thanksgiving, because people, as you say, they're yearning to be together. But it would almost make sense that once people become young adults and they go into adulthood, they are going to define themselves differently. They may follow a different path. Um, and they, they, they develop their own, you know, nuclear family so that the expectation that everyone will still be exactly like the original tribe is really a hard one to meet. Some families demand it, which create a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm glad you're giving room for this, that someone could really love a brother who's in New Zealand who you don't think he quite gets your lifestyle, you don't get his, but nonetheless you love each other as brother and sister and have wonderful memories. The permission to let 
each other, and you did quite a bit in the book on family systems, the permission to let each other be unique people as well as being connected as siblings is a really strong point you make and one that I I do want our listeners to know about so that they can feel free to be connected and be individuated at the same time. Yeah, I'm really glad you're highlighting this because the whole notion of our relationships are supposed to fit neatly into boxes and be tied up with ribbons does work for people, for some people, but I think for a lot of people that's just something that is impossible to achieve and we could even argue maybe it's not something that you, you want to achieve unless you're incredibly lucky. That mm. it's better to be comfortable with the, with the gray in life, with the ups and downs and that helps us to appreciate the fact that life is sort of not one long uh, slide up or down, but it has its fits and starts. Now, one of, a number of dynamics you mentioned as parental dynamics that really interfere or impede positive adult sibling relationships. And I love the fact that at the end of the book, you sort of gave them as a, here's something for parents to think about. And I would say in terms of, the legacy of sibling relationships people pass on. And you named favoritism, protection, and interference as dynamics that really can impede positive sibling relationships. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, The issue of favoritism, and this goes back to the advantage of having a questionnaire we could do some fairly sophisticated analyses. We asked people about whether they perceived favoritism, either for or against them, on the part of their parents when they were growing up. And then we linked that to how close they felt to their siblings today. And then we asked about whether or not there was protection on the part of a parent. And we linked that to relationships today, and we asked about whether or not parents interfered in the siblings' relationship and whether or not that was linked to their relationship today. And as you can imagine, in all three cases, when parents are perceived, now remember, we don't know if in fact there was favoritism, we're asking for a perception of favoritism, that did not redound well to a good relationship today if a parent has to protect children from uh, each other when young, that means they're probably not going to have a great sibling relationship today. And if parents interfere, that means they, um, the adults will probably not have a strong relationship. Now, there are times when parents have to interfere in between children. And it's very hard um, from as high up a view as we're taking to tell parents what to do today with their children because there are times when interference and protection certainly may be needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Favoritism, we, of course, know a lot more about, and sometimes um, favoritism uh, is really difficult to uh, try and deal with. Whether you are the favored or the less favored, there's a price to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I love the fact that... Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, again, we did have families that were very helpful, very healthy and said, oh, sure, we knew that mom's favorite was always Susie or Billy, and those siblings seemed to get along fine and and were not hurt by the fact that, um, or they didn't say they were hurt by the fact that everybody knew that mom and dad played favoritism. So a lot of this comes out in the context of families. Some families can can withstand that and just see it as a joke. Oh, dad always favored his only son or mom always favored the only daughter, that kind of thing. So we're talking broadly about this. Mm. I think I interrupted you. No, well, I was going to say that over the years, um, as people have come and, and shared family issues and family dilemmas, I couldn't agree more that the scars of favoritism are seen on the part of the favorite and the other children who were not. Now, as you say, it's all in the perception and in the family dynamic. That is, if Johnny, because he's the boy, is the favorite, but that also meant he got to go to college and the women didn't in the family, it's Mm -hmm. a heavier dynamic. 
Um, when you ask parents if there are favorites, we all have the illusion, oh, we don't have any favorites, or all my children are favorites. That's the other, that's the other um, kind of interesting um, dilemma about it. But the problem is when one is a favorite and the others really don't get what we call the parent support, the parent affirmation, the parent recognizing their for their unique ability, especially if the favorite is similar to one of the parents, and the other if the if the favorite's a football player and dad was, and the other son's a fabulous musician, we don't mm-hmm. really have often the affirmation to that child. So you know, I I liked that you were inviting parents to think about this is going to make a difference in how those children get along. Now, some children are wonderful. You know, they'll pair up and deal with parents who are not so easy, and it actually makes their bond stronger. Some parents really interrupt that, sometimes unwittingly. I think a number of your people you said reported they really did not like being the parent's voice piece to the other children or being the intermediary with the other children, it's kind mm-hmm. of the, right, the parentified child. That's a rough place for, for people to be. Yeah, yes, being the parentified child can be tough. And it's interesting, sometimes the child who is most distant in childhood becomes the child that clings closer to an aging mom or mm-hmm. dad to try and resolve both in their own head and in the, the head and heart of the parent, what they didn't have in, in childhood. I think it's not uncommon for the child on the outs when young to become the, the caretaker of parents when old as a way to compensate and get back what they maybe lost out on when they were young. I, I, have, I hear it all the time. And there's sometimes some real new bonding, and sometimes it's heartbreaking to see them taking care of the parent, and then the favorite comes flying in from the coast, and it's like the Messiah has arrived. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it always it, it, it can be a rough scene too. And I guess I have a skewed audience because I'm I'm dealing with people who are suffering, but um, I have seen that true. I think that that bears on some other theme in your book, which is it's never too late. And these are fluid fluid relationships. You know, sometimes two brothers who never got along happen to have their children at around the same time, and they're bonded by the fact that they are young dads together. You just don't know how it's going to play out if you're open to the possibilities. Right. You're making a really good point also about why we decided to start the survey with people 40 and over and not pick up the 21 to 40-year-olds, that there's so many things that are are fluid in those, obviously in childhood, but also in those early adult years when the push for any adult is to get away from the family to establish an identity of one's own while still staying close to the family. So there's this interesting push and pull that everybody who grows up has to establish his or her own relationship while also staying, in an ideal sense, well-connected to one's family and parents, and how we all struggle with that is what makes the story of life so so exciting. But we picked up people beginning at 40 to try and uh, not have to focus on the many ups and downs of people going to college, starting first jobs, having first children and having their first uh, homes and so on, and starting where things had settled down. But when parents die, and this is why we also picked up on 40, that's when uh, you know the, our subjects were 40 and over, but that's when parents begin to get ill, and that puts new pressures on siblings. I could pretty much ignore my siblings. I'm speaking metaphorically, but I could Uh, pretty much ignore my siblings when I was 20 or 30 because I didn't have to see them because mom and dad were fine. But as parents get older, that forces children back together again, and they have to look at, can they resolve issues to work together, or are they going to continue whatever themes that they had handed down to them, uh, which may make it more difficult for them to work together to take care of mom and dad. So if mom and dad can get their kids together, their adult kids together, they're going to be taken care of a lot better than if their kids are, are warring uh, as mom and dad become uh, old and, and frail and in need of siblings working together, their children working together to take care of them. So so you bring up a topic that comes up 
a good deal of the time in my work over all these years, and that is the parents, the the older parents of adult children come in and talk with despair that their adult children do not get along, that they're estranged, that there are two daughters who don't speak, or two daughters who speak with each other but don't speak to the son, and they are anguished by this, and of course, if they're mothers, what did they do wrong, and how are they going to get these people together, and quite frankly, the adult siblings are really not interested in doing that for whatever reasons, and often it has to do with their own marriages, um, what we call are the in-laws, the outlaws, you know, mm-hmm. it gets a little bit complicated. So I think one question you asked is what do adult parents, as much as they might want to pull the tribe together so that they help each other and are there for their needs too, sometimes that's not workable for adult siblings, regardless of how the parent feels. Right, and I think you're putting your finger on another very important point, which is that not every relationship can be fixed. And that requires, and you deal with this in your work all the time, and this requires the person in most pain to try and figure out, well, I'm never going to be close with my brother and sister. How am I going to move forward with, with my life and make some meaning, meaning of that life, even though I won't be as close with my brother or sister as I want to be? Because there always are people that we're going to pursue more than they're going to pursue us. It could be friends. It's more painful when it's siblings. And how does one go forward with one's life when a sibling is just not interested in seeing us or being with us or coming to the holiday dinner? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what I have said to people is that short of someone saying, I never want to receive a text message, a mail, or anything I'm taking you off Facebook, whatever it happens to be. Short of that, I say to people, if you have a positive feeling about this brother or this sister, you stay in touch in a benign way. Send the holiday card. Send send the baby's announcement. Whether they respond is secondary, but at least you've established somewhat of a bridge. So if it happens, they do want to turn around and look at you. You've been in a some at least a benign position. They haven't forced you to become in, to enter the position they're in, because you just never know. I think that's really wonderful advice, and I think you could add to that that um, it's important for you to act in a way that makes you feel feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. So if, mm-hmm. if being the person that is going to be the, 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 the nice one in terms of sending out the announcements, as you said, and always inviting people but accepting the fact that it might not work, but you feel better uh, trying to reach out to your siblings than just uh, accepting that they don't want to see you, if that's the way you frame feeling better about yourself, that it's important to follow your your heart down that road. Mm. One thing you say, or you, you you sort of suggest in the book that I think is very helpful for people to hear, is that it's understandable that when people are developing their own, well, you call it a family of orientation, which is, um, I belong to a family, but now I marry someone, I have my own children, my focus is on my family of orientation, and I necessarily have less of a focus on the family of origin. Some families really don't want to know about that. They want the family of origin to take precedence. And I like the way you you sort of underscored, eh, for a while that's not always possible. People really need to develop their own family and their own relationships, short of cutting ties. It's, I think some of the problems I've seen are when the family of origin demands that they take precedence over any of the new young families or even the middle age with college-age kids' families. Yeah, I think sometimes that is handed down within that family of origin. So one of the ways to work with any family or to understand oneself is what's the history in my family? How has my family allowed in new people, such as the spouse of a, of a sibling? How has my family allowed people to leave and set up an independent life on the West Coast, the East Coast, or in the Midwest? How has my family accepted people into the family that are different from us? Maybe 
in terms of religion or race or class or, e- or even sexual orientation today. So I think it's important to look intergenerationally drawing a family tree and say, well, how has the family accepted other new people into the family? And also, I don't know if we'll get into this, how have siblings gotten along in previous generations? Was my father close with his brother or his sister? Was my mother close with her siblings? And what message is being handed down to my generation about the importance of sibling relationships? Some people are raised in families where they're told, don't trust anybody outside of the family. And others are raised right. in families where they're told, you know, my brother took all my money in, in the business and you better be careful about, right. about it, ever trusting a, your brother. Okay, or, Jeff, or, we're going to have to take a break, but we are. Uh, let's come right back to that research you did about legacy and um, uh, siblings getting along and what's passed down to the next generation. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Jeffrey Grief. His new book, Adult Sibling Relationships. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Grief and his new book, Adult Sibling Relationships. Um, Before we go any farther, um, Jeff, how can people get this book? It's a terrific book. How can they get it? Yeah, the book is called Adult Sibling Relationships, and it's available on Amazon or from the publisher Columbia University Press. Okay. Now, we were speaking right before the break about one aspect of the research was finding out the idea of passing down the legacy of close adult siblings from one generation to the other. And you had some unexpected findings. Maybe you can share that. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Suzanne, we found out by, again, looking at the questionnaire data that siblings who perceived their father as being close with his siblings were more apt to be close 
with their own siblings. So, so something about growing up in a family where the father was seen as being close had a very powerful impact on these siblings. So 30% or so of our respondents viewed their father as having a close relationship, whereas 80% viewed their mother as having a close relationship. Now, it's well established that women do, in most cases, the emotional family work or the social connectors in families and make the contacts, and that is true of sisters of previous generations, too. We're not sure that's going to be the case in future generations. There seem to be trends of much more androgynous behavior between men and women. But we found that if you perceive your dad as being close with his siblings, you're more apt to be close with yours. And it's probably probably because, and again, we have a sample of people 40 to 90, that it was unusual back in the day for fathers to be showing a lot of emotion, a lot of expressiveness, and a lot of um, emotional contact with their, their siblings. So it must have made a pretty profound impact on the people we interviewed. So what's so interesting, just to, re- to review it, is so a certain percentage see their fathers as close and a larger percentage see their mothers close with their siblings, but it's those that see their fathers as close, that was a better predictor of whether that that would pass on to the next generation than mothers. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, my husband tells the story that he remembers going to hug his dad and his dad saying, no, we don't do that. We shake hands. And that's, that's that okay. generation. But yeah. um, I see my sons, you know, hug each other, uh, you know, hug my husband. So, and they're, they're in their 30s with young families. So it's an interesting thing. But I still also wonder, and I guess you'd need more research, children do watch their dads and their moms from like a different perspective. And it just may be that when men are real close to their brothers, it catches children's attention in a different kind of way. I, I don't know, but it was such an interesting finding. Um, certainly, we do know, though, that Children do pass on legacies. As you were saying before the break, when people know we don't talk to that side of the family, we never go to the people who live down south, we ne- well, that becomes part of the culture. And uh, breaking the culture becomes, you got to be brave to do it, and you hope people feel, you know, they have the right to be, you know, their, their own self without losing the family's um, connection or respect. Another finding you had that I thought was interesting is you called it the hourglass phenomenon? It was where um, people were closer to their siblings when they were young. They essentially moved away from their siblings emotionally and maybe geographically as they reached their early 20s and, and 30s. And it's not until parents get ill again that people become closer again to their siblings or have to deal with their siblings a lot more than before. So if you think across the life course, it sort of looks like an hourglass that you move away and then as you get closer to your own finiteness, you begin to get closer again to those that you knew when you were were young. Mm. I do want to go back to something that you touched on before, and that was that we are finding, we found in our study, that the younger siblings, the people 40 to 45, that Mm -hmm. both the brothers and sisters tended to express closeness in pretty much the same way. Oh, okay. They felt comfortable uh, at equal measures in talking to their siblings about things like money and health and children and friendships, whereas when we looked at people 65 and older, there was definitely a difference between the uh, the boys and the girls, in quotes, the brothers and sisters, that older men, older brothers, looked like traditional men in terms of not feeling comfortable talking about things, whereas younger men, younger women, and older women all felt much more comfortable. I, I would say that's really true, and I, I'm wondering what our listeners feel, even in terms of observation of um, people, you know, in their 30s and 40s as compared to 65 and over, that they're really, as you say, there's a kind of 
uh, androgynous acceptance of um, what's shared, how to deal with parents, how to deal with holidays. Um, there's not a kind of hierarchical kind of um, men on top, the women are serving the Thanksgiving. Often the men are cooking mm-hmm. now. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's very, very different, and it's wonderful in that sense. Yeah. Um, so when people come and seek help, because one thing we, we wanted to share is how do you improve a relationship? What's the most common predict, sort of presenting problem that family members, siblings have brought to you, um, Jeff, that you, that you feel intervention has helped? Right. And some of my answer is going to come from a survey we did of a mental health therapist in Maryland and in California. We asked over 100 therapists what siblings were bringing in for, for treatment as some of the issues with which they, their clients are facing. And it's usually around the historic issues that we've covered that they're unhappy with the relationship with their sibling. They want something more or the sibling is troubled and it's pulling them down and they don't mm. know what to do about it. There are some people that come in around issues of, of favoritism from parents, as we said, and it's often usually around a family event. I saw a gentleman here in Baltimore two weeks ago who came to see me because his son was getting married I won't say in what state, not getting married here in Maryland. And he knew that his sister had been invited to the wedding, but was unclear what was going to happen at the wedding in relation to his sister because they have a troubled, a troubled relationship that's gone on for many, many years. Mm. So he sort of wanted to come and figure things out and... Uh, bounce around ideas about how we should behave in relation to her. And w- one piece of my advice was, don't make this bigger than it is. It's it's one event, and don't try and bring in all the past stuff that may maybe had gone on between the two of you. Treat her like a like you would any guest at a, at a wedding, and don't try and think about all the baggage that has occurred between the the two of you. Mm-hmm. So when we, when, we work, when we work with clients there and we talk about it in the book, Michael and I, there are three family therapy theories that we use that are very easy to cover quickly. One is to look at the history of one's family. What is being handed down intergenerationally, as you and I have discussed. Another is to look at the boundaries. Mm-hmm. To what extent do parents interfere? To what extent do siblings drag in? Uh, another sibling against a third sibling. I gave a book talk at the New York Public Library a few months ago, and a lot of people were talking about how they felt they were on the outs between two of their adult yes. siblings. Mm-hmm. Who was triangulation, yep. Mm-hmm. Right, triangulation. And the, the third theory, which is espoused by uh, the social worker, Virginia Satir, is to learn how to communicate clearly. Don't uh, communicate in a backhand way, put out your feelings, and then be willing to hear feelings back. But you have to come from a family whose culture uh, will allow that kind of expression of feelings. So no one approach works for, for everybody, and the reader should sort of pick and choose which of these approaches she or he thinks will work for their family member and for themselves. Mm. They're they're great. You give an example in the book of a uh, an ill mother, and the sister lives nearby and is trying to deal with her family and the mother and the brother who's a professional on the coast with a family. He flies in. He's upset. He wants the mother to get more care. The sister says she can do it. A very you know typical type situation. And I mm-hmm. think they gave a very good solution, and that is to bring in some experts to evaluate the mother. I think when you bring in a third, you know that's mm-hmm. a therapist or some real medical um, intervention or insight or evaluation, at least we level the field from prior, um, you know, patterns so that they can go ahead together and feel successful in caring for the mom. Um, I think that was a great example in the book, and I love your example just now of there's no way you can go forward if you have to first rehash every issue that you didn't get along with. Couples... 
siblings, it just can't work that way because you don't reset then a positive connection. I always say to people, when people say, let's sit down and talk, I get worried. I say, why not try doing something? Remember Uh each other as brothers. Remember each other as a couple. With the doing will come the talking. But to sit and regress back to the old fight, no one's going anywhere. Right. Very, very good point. It's difficult, but um, the book covers so much. Now, um, I don't know where we are in terms of time, but I did want to say to our um, listeners that Jeff and his co-author came up with a wonderful analogy for sibling relationships. And he has a wonderful description of it. And I want you, I wanted him to read it because you'll get a feel for the voice of this book. And you'll also get a feeling for the complication, but the possibility of sibling relationships. Could you read that for us? Sure. Siblings are like an airport landing strip. Always there, but more or less difficult to get a fix on depending on the weather. Sometimes we can find the landing strip by feel without any help. At other times, we need radar for a smooth landing. And at still other times, we need help from the control tower to find the airport. (laughs) Through it all, whether we are circling in a waiting pattern, competing for an arrival slot, or gliding into place, our siblings are an essential part of what both keeps us on the ground and lets us take flight. Terrific. It's it's really true about it being very difficult at times, not knowing where or how you're going to make the connection, but somewhere there's a landing strip. It's so well done, and I think you make references to it throughout the book. Yeah. It, thanks, yeah. For re- thanks so much for reading it. In the time that we have left, I wonder... What take-home messages would you share with our adult siblings out there who may be trying to improve relationships, um, who want to pass down a good legacy to their children? What, what are some of the take-home points you might want to share? There are a few messages, some of which we've covered, but one that is new is that if you are struggling with a sibling, make sure that does not affect your other intimate relationships in your life. And mm-hmm. make sure that you don't let that taint the way that you approach those that you love, both your partner, your friends, and of course your other family members. So that's the danger in not being aware of what a cutoff or an estrangement from a sibling um, could do to you. Uh, make sure you, you stay open in other areas of your life is very important. And the other piece that we covered earlier is that it's normal to have mixed feelings towards a sibling, um, but you want to keep on moving forward. Sometimes you can make it better by selectively ignoring some of the things that maybe were said offhand, maybe were meant to harm but maybe we're just miscommunications, too. We have a lengthy chapter where we interviewed three brothers together who get along quite well, and they're a model of how to get along well. And one of the brothers says, I don't expect anything negative to come out of their mouth. So if they say something, I'm always going to try and frame it in the best light. And that's Mm -hmm. the way we really should go forward with our life, both with our siblings and with those that we're close to. Mm. It's almost what what you're also implying is it's okay for siblings at different points in their life to use different frames of reference. Now, I'm just mm-hmm. thinking now how wonderful it would be if those brothers came from a family where it wasn't always so positive, but somehow they had arrived at a place where in this life of theirs they want to see the best of each other, and so they're going to do the reframing, meaning that it's possible to change family dynamics and even family culture if you hang in there. Well said, yes. It's um, it's an interesting thing in terms of um, 
the difference between sisters and the difference between brothers. I think what you said before is something that I want our listeners to recognize, too. It seems now more and more that gender's not an issue. And the other thing I've often heard is when a family decides they're really going to not accept someone, that person may have come out as gay, that person may in some way um, have chosen to marry someone of a different religion, very Mm -hmm. often... It's one sibling who is the bridge back who says, why can't she marry that person? Why can't he be who he is? And so you always hold out for as much as it's a tribe, as much as there's a culture, you know, the the rule that if everyone's thinking the same way, nobody's thinking. The whole idea that you sometimes can be the voice to help a family stay connected by accepting the differences in family members. Yes, and part of that is also what's handed down from one generation to the next. And if you were, I would say, unlucky enough to come from a family where outsiders were not invited in, then you can change that culture by having a family of your own where you do open up your doors to people. I don't mean Mm -hmm. necessarily physically, but you're always excited about meeting people that are different from yourself and that that's a, a good thing. Mm, it's very true. Um, we're we're going to have to to end for today, um, Doctor Grief. I can't tell you how thankful I am that you came on and you gave our listeners a really closer look at relationships. You really helped demystify the relationship with siblings. We all have them, or most of us have them. They're complicated, but certainly they're worth keeping. Thank you for having me on. This was wonderful. It was a pleasure. I want to thank my listeners, and particularly the listeners of this show. If our conversation has prompted questions, has if you have uh, comments, if you have examples, that send them to me at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. I will pass them on to Dr. Grief, and we'll get back to you about that. I want to thank you for listening. You can hear this show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone. And the newer the iPhones get, the better the podcasts are going to sound on iTunes under Psych Up Live. Drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. And until next week, please take care. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.